to Eagle Eye. My name is Michael Chen. I'm the head of school at Pacific Bay Christian School. This is our school's podcast series, where we aim to find focus in chaotic times. Um, today, in this episode, we want to think deeply about the social emotional health of our young people during the pandemic. Our guests today are Dr. Cindy Tlander and Dr. James Tlander. This dynamic duo came to our school, <laughs> Taipei, with a with a distinguished、uh, career as practicing psychologists and teaching professors.、Uh, in the interest of time, I,、uh, you can see the short bio in the description of this episode.、Uh, we're so fortunate to have them on our faculty team, both in teaching and directing our social and emotional learning program at the school. We're also very fortunate to be able to listen to the expert insight today. So, welcome,、uh, Jim and Cindy. Thank you very much. We're excited、uh, to be here. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we'll welcome. We'll, we want to welcome the listeners and the the viewers who listen into our conversation today. But today, I want to start out by providing a context to our conversation. I want to talk to you too about、um, sort of what our roles are. As supporting adults、uh, in the lives of our young people, especially during the chaotic times such as this, we've been stuck in a in a physical isolation、uh, for a long time. Especially now, going into the seventh month,、um, and interactions, you know, personal interactions, has now moved to the virtual space, like what we're doing right now. Right. Yeah. The onslaught of challenges of 2020 just continues.、Uh, Uh, both with COVID, but also with all these other things like the wildfire and unbreathable air.、Um, so,、um, but I'm most concerned, and I think、uh, I'm sure that you are too, and also our viewers and listeners. So, I, I want to start out kind of saying that even today, as as, as I was listening to NPR,、uh, the California report.、Um, It says nearly a quarter of people in the United States have experienced symptoms of depression, according to a study that came out yesterday.、Uh, that's nearly three times the number before COVID nineteen pandemic began.、Uh, and I I want to assume that perhaps this is、uh, probably similar, if not even worse, for the adolescents and the pre adolescents.、Um, and then the most recently.、Um, Uh, earlier last month,、uh, we have studies came out of France with bunch、uh, a few French、uh, psychologists and、uh, and the studies that they con- they said is the COVID nineteen pandemic and lockdown may have negative impact on mental health of adolescents, although there is still no data on the long term impact of this crisis.、Right. I think that's the challenge. Is is that we worry? But we just really don't know how to navigate this very challenging time. So let's just start with this question: As a parent, how do I know, or how do I tell if my adolescent or pre-adolescent child is depressed or simply just sad? And does it matter to be able to tell the difference? Really good question. The answer is absolutely yes. It matters.、Um, Sadness is a human emotion, right? We all have it.、Um, my pet dies. I feel sad.、Um, my friend is upset with me. I feel sad. But the difference between sadness and depression is that 
I feel sadness. I can get comfort or, or in a few days I feel better and it goes away. And I, and I can still engage in my daily functions in life and be fine, even though I'm aware maybe of feeling sad. Depression is really qualitatively different because when we're depressed, it's like putting on glasses that colors every aspect of life. Um, so I'm not just sad about one thing. It, it affects the way um, I see the entire world, the way I see myself, the way I see others, the way I see the future. Um, it affects my sleep, my appetite, my relationships. And um, so it's all encompassing. It's not just this little episodic um, blip that correlates with one single event. And when we're depressed, it puts us at danger for things like poor physical health. Um, not it impacts just, all our daily day-to-day right. -day functioning. Um, yes, you can be sad about your dog dying, but hanging on to that and, and, and letting it impact your entire life so that your dog six weeks from now still is having a major issue is how depression weighs itself out. It's not something that you are able to let go. You're not something, it's not something that you're able to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, not that the, the pain of the loss of somebody isn't, um, does, may never go away. You may always be able to tap into that sadness, but depression changes in that it, it, not it's not that you can't touch the sadness, but it's that sadness is prevalent in everything that you do every day. So, with a sense of loss, or at at the onset of a loss, uh, it triggers sort of emotional sadness. But then, at some point, sadness gets shifted into depression or symptoms of depression. What makes a difference for somebody who is more resilient and stay? out of that depressed state versus somebody who, you know, fall into it. And whether there's, there are ways in which uh, certain kinds of prevention and support that can, that we one could offer. Absolutely. One of the biggest pieces is um, what we think, our explanatory style. And so Martin Seligman, who's kind of famous back in the 60s for doing the research on learned helplessness, um, he, he has a book called Learned Optimism. Um, and some of the major research is, how do we explain what's happening? If I attribute what's happening, and if I think about it as being something that I have no control over, that I've done, and that the future will never be better, and it can feel like that. Seven months into COVID, right, we all thought, by May, we were starting to feel like, woo, the restrictions are lifting, we're coming out, and now we're not. We feel in some ways helpless. So what we tell ourselves and how we think really impacts whether or not I'm going to be sad or whether I'm going to continue to think in ways that lead to, because depressive thoughts lead to depressive feelings and sensations and behaviors. Yeah, that was the other thing that I was going to add is it's not just how we think, that it also is how we behave and what we do with the things that we think. Um, we could become much more isolated um, and, and much more narrowly focused when we let the sadness overtake us. But it's being able to work through that and still be able to, in sadness, yes, we are sad, but it means, it doesn't have to necessarily mean that we have um, 
we, we are stuck in doing and shutting down. We can also get up and get moving. We can still do our day-to-day things um, and still be, and, and that's where the resilience comes in is, am I, am I going to be shut down or am I going to be able to think differently and act differently? Because a key component with stress is do I view what's happening as a threat to me or as a challenge? And that's part of that explanatory style. So in, whether it's COVID, which is a very big thing, or whether it's my daily homework or logging on to Zoom or whatever, how am I interpreting the, what's before me? And if I see it as a threat, I tend to shut down and I'm more likely to become depressed. If I see it more as a challenge, which means it might be tough, but I think inside I have the ability to do it, then I don't become depressed. I get mobilized. And a key piece with that is also relational support. Not just how these kids think, but the difference between kids who are resilient and not is that they have people in their lives who are checking in with them, who are helping them and seeing them and empathizing with them and saying, I know this is tough. Um, I I hate this. Um, And I mean, we we have college age kids. So, and they were, we were very happy and they were very happy to leave the home. (laughs) Woohoo, empty nester. And so they were thriving in Dallas. And then COVID hit. They, let, they came home May 13th, or excuse me, March 13th for a week of spring break, and they never went back. And we had to deal with, oh my goodness, number one, our own grief. Our children are home. Wait, they're supposed to go back. We were having fun. We had a rhythm. <laughs> our life is disrupted. We, we love our children. They had a grief. So we're all walking around in grief. Yeah, they were losing their friends. They were not having the chance to have the autonomy to that they so enjoyed. But now they here they are back at home with mom and dad under mom and dad's rules and and uh, house. And uh, we had to readapt. We had to look at how do we how do we make a win here. We had to also assess them. We saw them getting very sad and depressed because the expectation was, hey. We're going to go back or maybe we'll go back in four or five weeks. And so that hope kept getting deferred and we'd see them get up and then boom. And so as a parent, it was tough to be, and we had to spend a lot of time talking with them, processing with them um, and and helping them adapt to the new reality and to become flexible. There are a couple of things that you said that really resonate. One is this idea of learn optimism uh, and, and, and in order to do that, you really had to be able to have a different frame of mind to understand what is happening around you and what's happening to you. Right. Um, right. And, and, and be able to get there. I'm, I'm, what I'm inferring from your, 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 what you share is that that relational support can, can really help one to think differently or see things differently. That relational help, I think, um, in that it, it can make it better or it can make it worse. In that, um, what is the thinking of the person that I'm getting that I'm getting in, in relationship with here? You can all jump on the bandwagon and everybody have a pity party. That's not the intent of it. the The, the mindset is to learn optimism, is being able to reach out and work with people that can look at the situation in a different way. And, and people that can help you get out of your negative thinking into a more positive and optimistic light. To be able to stop and go, you know, COVID has really thrown us a lot of lemons. 
and we got a whole lot of lemons. But you know what? There's a whole lot of positive here as well. Um, number one, we definitely learned how to deal with the flu season a whole lot better. Number two, when our kids came home, it really gave us an opportunity to really bond with them and spend extra time, focus time, because we're stuck at home at times as well, where we can, you know what, here our kids have started to grow up and started to um, become more autonomous, but yet we're able to come in at a young adult point of life and go, how do we maintain that? How do we help that? How do we work with that? And really, as adults, be able to have a more adult relationship with them. Very joyous time. Times that we could do things that we hadn't done, playing games. and Right. It's, it's the cognitive reframing of we're here. We can't go out. Okay. We like each we other, but we're not used to being stuck with each other. That's the difference. Like when we choose to be with the family, it feels differently than I have to be here. And that's the first piece of reframe is, yeah, I have to be here. So it's an opportunity. Can I look at this as opportunity rather than stuckness? And when I can look for the opportunity in that, that's where it becomes more of a, a, a challenge rather than a threat. And my, and my brain changes. So, and we are, we're prone to feeling frustrated at times. We get discouraged ourselves and we have to remind ourselves, we'll say, you know what, we're having a hard time right now. It just, it's, it's getting wearing on us. Um, and then, so it's like, okay, what are we grateful for? What, what's the opportunity here? What, can't, what have we been able to do we haven't been able to do? And when we start focusing on that, it, it shifts how we feel. Our cognitions and our thoughts shift our feeling, which then can shift our behaviors. And reaching out to other people that have a different perspective than us is sometimes very helpful. Um, for example, um, me coming into the pack based system from working 20-some-odd years in a separate system I've had to totally shift my way of thinking and working with it because I didn't work with Google and I didn't work with, with uh, Zoom and I didn't work with any of these, these, these formats. But, and, and so it can be kind of negative. It's like, oh, I like Outlook better. I like, you know, different systems better. <laughs> you might be complaining sometimes. <laughs> but, but then I reach out to the person that can really help right. reorient my thinking. And it's like, okay, you know what? There is challenges here. But it is just that. It's a challenge. I'm going to learn new systems in the computer. I'm going to learn and be able to have a totally different um, peer group and friend group with the faculty and the staff. And I'm going to be able to really reach and work with some amazing young men and women. Um, and, and all of these are the, the positives that you can reorient and refocus as a result of this kind of thing. It's, this is quite interesting, and, and thank you for those insights. And and I want to draw from what you just shared, and then maybe help myself understand on the practical sense. What I hear is that uh, it's not enough to just be empathetic and sympathetic uh, by listening, because it may turn into a pity party. But one needs to, in order to support young people in those conversations, is to be able to find the right opportunity to begin to help our young people to reframe, help them to right. understand. And in many ways, that the, the, the supporting adults' perspective can be that different perspective for our young people. Absolutely. I, I think I, I see a lot of young people because I'm still, I work a full-time clinical practice Monday through Wednesday and I'm seeing more because of the COVID. 
And one thing I have to constantly remind parents of is, though, you've got to see your child before you structure. What I mean by seeing is we do, the empathy is important. It's just not enough in and of itself. And so when a child is frustrated or your adolescent is frustrated, indeed, when any of us are frustrated, our brain is kind of, I call it hot. It's, it's all kind of on fire. The part of the brain that's reactive is, is in charge. And if I try to solve my child's problem, which I've been guilty of doing, or to come in with a different perspective when their brain is hot, it doesn't work. It falls flat. My best intentions fall flat. And I, as a parent, then get frustrated. I'm like, I'm just trying to help you. Why don't you take my advice? And so when we see a child, the research shows us that if I could hook up my kid to a functional MRI, if I had that hooked up and they were upset or sad, and if I came in and said, you know what, you're really frustrated by this. You're you're done with Zoom. You're, You're so tired of this. If we join them, you would see the activation in their limbic system actually calm down. And when the limbic system calms down, that means their frontal lobe comes online. And the frontal lobe is the part where we can harness the learning, the self-control, the insight, the ability to make those leaps. And so if we see, we calm them down, and then they're able to receive our structure or able to receive our reframe and say, okay, thanks. So see before structure, and we have that order, we need to do both pieces, but we have to get them in the right order. Yeah, I think it's... I, I think it's one of the things that is most difficult as a parent is because we want to help our kids. We want to reach out and fix our kids or fix their problems. And we think we know them well enough because we're with them every day and we talk to them every day and things like that. The piece that we miss is that scene and, and helping them to be heard um, prior to letting them try and figure out how to fix it as well. Like with our, for example, like when our kids were home, it's very hard to see them struggling or being sad. You know, I have a different perspective. I'm like, you know what? It'll be fine. You'll be back next year. You know, I, all the positive things that are very much are true. And so when I'm saying that to like, say our daughter who is missing her friends desperately, she feels missed. And so the truth of my statement and the pieces that she might be able to hold on to and file for her own thought process when she's sad have been lost because I didn't stop and first say, I know this is really hard. You're really missing those people. Right. Um, When I do that first and she feels calm and connected and her brain calms down, then she's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I actually saw this happen because I was making, I know these things doesn't mean we apply them. (laughs) And so when I realized I'm butting heads with them, I'm not seeing them. I'm not doing what I teach. Right. No. So on the on on the on the practical front, uh, even the way as parents, the way we support our kids, we really had to be mindful of when to when to pull back, when to push in. Um, That that it's it's very because there is a real real physiological response inside of our head. Absolutely. I often think of, for myself, I try and remind myself of an, uh, an acronym called ORDERS. I try and listen to my kids in a way where I ask open-ended questions. I make affirmations, you know, and affirm the things that are positive in their life. I try and reflect 
what I'm hearing from them to make sure that I'm hearing accurately. I put it together in summaries. And then after I've done some of this, then I try and move to, you know, asking them what do they think they could do differently or, you know, and, and take it down the other road. Problem solving Problem or strategies, solving. things, concrete things to do. That's very, very helpful. Uh, so here's another question following up with that is what, it must be also be there must be a significant impact also in terms of as an as an adult our own emotional state would will have a significant impact in the way we support or not supporting our young people the research will show very clearly whatever state we are in that is contagious meaning that the nervous system of anybody else around us is scanning because our brain's number one function is, to, is survival. And so our brain from birth has adapted to survive. And so if we feel other people's anxiety or threat, that directly affects our nervous system. We literally pick up the feeling. So if I'm not anxious or if my children weren't anxious, but I was and I walked in and was talking with them, they would in fact pick up my bad day or my anxiety and actually be feeling it physically. And depending on their level of sophistication, they may or may not know, oh, that's mom. They might think it's them and then it affects how they think and what they do because their nervous system is responding to the presence of another. We're social mammals. We're, we're made to have this kind of data go back and forth um, and, and to adapt to it. And so one of the most important things that we really can do as parents is be monitoring ourselves. And, and that's hard because, you know, our kids are struggling, but so are we. We're supposed to have answers and be flexible and adapt and, 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 and be the parents. And we do have hopefully mature frontal lobes and, and more experience and insight, but we're still struggling. And so recognizing, number one, it's okay if you're struggling as a parent. And it's okay if you're having a hard time with this, but get help, get support, talk with people even over the phone in whatever way, um, practice mindfulness, do things that help you get in a state where you can have a calm body so that you can be that support to your child. And when you have a bad day, don't be afraid to try and repair it. Yeah. To say, hey, you know what? I recognized yesterday, I was really grumpy. I was really irritable. Um, I'm sorry. Let's try and make today better. That is a huge right. piece of, of fixing that. The kids love to hear it. Um, I can remember many times when, when that's happened. I remember times when I find out afterwards, but, you know, Cindy talks to me on the way home, and I find out later, the kids say, so how's your day going now, Dad? And sure enough, she's kind of warned them, hey, Dad's had a bad day. So um, let's try and have a good evening, you know, and, and see what we can do. But it's, it's that kind of thing where you as a family pull together and look at, yeah, we're all going to have bad days. And it's okay for a kid to have a bad day or for any, any of us to have a bad day. But also being open to make that repair to go, you know what, I'm big enough to recognize uh, I have bad days and I can get through that. I certainly can resonate with that, <laughs> especially during the pandemic. I find myself more and more uh, 
you know, my patience being pushed to the limits. Uh, you know, well, we have I, no break. That's right. Often there's a normal type of break, whether it, even if your kids were home most of the time, they go to friend's house and none of that's there. It, it's kind of like it's, it's a it's like being in prison together in some ways. It, it's right. forced. Right. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for the first part of my conversation with Jim and Cindy Thielander. Be sure to join us for the second part of this important conversation. This is Eagle Eye, Pacific Bay Christian School's podcast series aiming to find focus in chaotic times. I'm your host, Michael Chen, and as always, stay positive, stay curious, and stay hopeful. God bless.